So let's continue with chapter 10. A Christ-like man in the okra robes of a swami stood motionless at the end of the lane. Instantly and anciently familiar he seemed. For a trice my gaze fed hungrily. Then doubt assailed me. You're confusing this wandering monk with someone known to you, I thought. Dreamer, walk on. After ten minutes, I felt heavy numbness in my feet, as though turned to stone. They were unable to carry me further. Laboriously, I turned around. My feet, feet regained normality. I faced the opposite direction. Again, the curious weight oppressed me. The saint is magnetically drawing me to him. With this thought, I heaped my parcels into the arms of Habu. He had been observing my erratic footwork with amazement and now burst into laughter. What ails you? Are you crazy? My tumultuous emotions prevented any retort. I sped silently away. Retracing my steps as though wing short, I reached the narrow lane. My quick glance revealed the quiet figure steadily gazing in my direction. A few eager steps and I was at his feet. Gurudeva. The divine face was the one I had seen in a thousand visions. These halcyon eyes in a leonine head with pointed beard and flowing locks had oft appeared through the gloom of my nocturnal reveries, holding a promise I had not fully understood. Oh, my own, you have come to me. My guru uttered the words again and again in Bengali, his voice tremulous with joy. How many years I have waited for you. We, we entered a oneness of silence, words seemed the rankest superfluities. Eloquence flowed in soundless chant from the heart of master to disciple. With an antenna of irrefragable insight, I sensed that my guru knew God and would lead me to him. The obscuration of this life disappeared in a fragile dawn of prenatal memories dramatic time. Past, present and future are its cycling scenes. This was not the first sun to find me at these holy feet. My hand in his, my guru, led me to his temporary residence in the Rana Mahal section of the city. His athletic figure moved with firm tread. Tall, erect, about 55 at this time, he was active and vigorous as a young man. His dark eyes were large, beautiful, with plumbless wisdom. Slightly curly hair softened a face of striking power. Strength mingled subtly with gentleness. As we made our way to the stone balcony of a house overlooking the Ganges, he said affectionately, I shall give you my ashrams and all I possess. Sir, I come for wisdom and God-realization. Those are your treasures, truths I am after. 
The swift Indian twilight had dropped its half curtain before my master spoke again. His eyes held unfathomable tenderness. I give you my unconditional love. Precious words. A quarter century elapsed before I had another auricular proof of his love. His lips were strange to order. Silence suited his oceanic heart. Will you give me the same unconditional love? He gazed at me like with childlike trust. I will love you eternally, Gurudeva. Ordinary love is selfish, darkly rooted in desires and satisfactions. Divine love is without condition, without boundary, without change. The flux of the human heart is gone forever at the transfixing touch of pure love. He added humbly, If ever you find me falling from the state of God-realization, please promise me to put my head on your lap and help to bring me back to the cosmic beloved we both worship. He rose then in the gathering darkness and guided me to an inner room. As we ate mangoes and almond sweetmeats, he obtrus- unobtrusively ove into his conversation an intimate knowledge of my nature. I was awestruck at the gardener of, of his wisdom, exquisitely blended with an innate humil- humility. Do not grieve for your amulet. It has served its purpose. Like a divine mirror, my guru apparently had caught a reflection of my whole life. The living reality of your presence, Master, is joy beyond any symbol. It is time for a change. In as much as you are unhappily situated in the ashram, I had made no references to my life. They now seemed superfluous. By his natural, unempathetic manner, I understood that he wished no astonished ejaculations at his clairvoyance. You should go back to Calcutta. Why exclude relatives from your love of humanity? His suggestion dismayed me. My family was predicting my return though I had been unresponsive to my pleas by letter. Let the young bird fly in the metaphysical skies, Ananta had remarked. His wings will tire in the heavy atmosphere. We shall yet see him swoop towards home, fold his pinions and humbly rest in our family nest. This discouraging smile fresh in my mind, I was determined to do no swooping in the direction of Calcutta. Sir, I am not returning home, but I will follow you anywhere. Please give me your address and your name. Swami Sri Yukteswar Giri, my chief ashram is in Serampore. On Raigat Lane. I am visiting my mother here for only a few days. I wondered at God's intricate play with his devotees.
Saranpur is but 12 miles from Calcutta. Yet, in those regions, I had never caught a glimpse of my guru. We had had to travel for our meeting to the ancient city of Kashi, hallowed by memories of Lahari Mahasaya. Here too, the feet of Buddha, Shankaracharya and many other yogi Christ had blessed the soil. Shankaracharya, India's greatest philosopher, was a disciple of Govinda Jati and the latter's guru, Guruda Pada. Shankara wrote a famous commentary on a treatise, Mandukya Karika, by Gaudapada. With an unanswerable logic and in a style of charm and grace, Shankara interpreted Vedanta philosophy is a strictly Advaita, non-dual, monastic spirit. The great monist also composed poems of devotional love. His prayer to the Divine Mother for forgiveness of sins bears the refrain. Though bad sons of many, never has there been a bad mother. Sanadana, a disciple of Shankara's, wrote a commentary on the Brahma Sutras, Vedanta philosophy. The manuscript was lost by fire, but Shankara, who had once glanced through it, repeated it word by word to his disciple. The text, known as Panchapadika, is studied by scholars to this day. The Chela Sanadana received a new name after a beautiful incident. Seated one day on a river bank, he heard Shankara calling him from the opposite shore. Sanadana entered the water forthwith. His faith and his feet were simultaneously supported when Shankara materialized in the swirling river a series of lotus flowers. The disciple was thereafter known as Padmapada, lotus foot. In the Panchapadika, Padmapada offers many loving tributes to his guru. Shankara himself wrote the following beautiful lines. No known comparison exists in the three worlds for a true guru. If the philosopher's stone be assumed as truly such, it can only turn iron into gold, not into another philosopher's stone. The venerated teacher, on the other hand, creates equality with himself in the disciple who takes refuges, refugee at his feet. The guru is therefore peerless, nay, transcendental. Lines, Century of Verses 1 You will come to me in four weeks for the first time, Sir Yukteswara's voice was stern. Now that I have told you of my eternal affection and have shown my happiness at finding you, you feel free to disregard my request. The next time we meet, you shall have to reawaken my interest. I won't easily accept you as a disciple. There must be complete surrender by obedience to my strict training. I remained obstinately silent. My guru quickly penetrated my difficulty. Do you think your relatives will laugh at you? 
I will not return. You will return in 30 days. Never. The controversial tension unrelieved. I bowed reverently at his feet and departed. Walking in the midnight darkness towards the ashram, I wondered why the miraculous meeting had ended in an inharmonious note. The dual scales of Maya that balance ever joy with the grief. My young heart was not yet malleable to the transforming figure fingers of my guru. The next morning, I noticed increased hostility in the attitude of the hermitage members. They spiked my days with invariable rudeness. Three days passed, Dayananda then left the ashram to attend a conference in Bombay. Pandemonium broke over my hapless head. Mukunta is a parasite, accepting hermitage hospitality without making proper return. Overhearing this remark, I regretted for the first time that I had obeyed the request to send back my money to father. With heavy heart, I sought out my soul friend Jitendra. I am leaving. Please convey my respectful regrets to Dayanandaji when he returns. I will also. My attempts to meditate here meet with no more favour than your own. Jitendra spoke with determination. I have met a Christ-like saint. Let's visit him in Sarmapur. And so, the bird prepared to swoop perilously close to Calcutta. Lord Shankara was a rare, rare combination of saint, scholar and man of action. Though he lived only 32 years, many of them were spent, uh, many of them were spent in arduous travel to every part of India, spreading his Advaita doctrine. Millions gathered eagerly to hear the solacing flow of wisdom from the lips of the barefooted young young monk. Shankara's reforming zeal included the reorganization of the ancient monastic Swami order. He also founded Mats in four locality, localities, Sringeri in the south, Puri in the east, Dwaraka in the west, and Badrinath in the Himalayan north. The four Mats of the great monist, liberally endowed by princes and the common people, gave free instruction in Sanskrit grammar, log- grammar logic and Vedanta philosophy. Shankara's object in locating his max in the four corners of India was the promotion of religious and national unity throughout the vast land. So here ends chapter 10. Thanks for listening.